Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, we thank you for this great opportunity that we have to come together to engage and embrace the principles of the kingdom of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you for unveiling your greatness and your glory to us. And I ask you in Jesus' name to help us to be truly appreciative and truly responsible with these stewardships that you've entrusted within our grasp. I ask you, O God, that you cleanse us afresh and thank you for our loins being girt about with truth. Thank you for the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you for our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Thank you for the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Thank you for the helmet of salvation and for the sword of the spirit. We thank you that you are blessing these professionals, that you're raising them up and showing yourself mighty and strong in their lives. Thank you for all that you are and for all that you've done. We believe that great and mighty things are going to emanate from their lives to touch their generation and generations to come. And we give you glory now. We give you praise for being our shield, our refuge, our fortress, our deliverer. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come in the earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We welcome the spirit of God. We welcome the spirit of God. Amen. All right. Remember that to to know your assignment, to know my assignment, look at it on the top of the banner here. Uh, is to know my sender, know myself, know my skills. I'm sorry, I missed one. Um, know my uh, self, first sender, then self, then know my superior, that is know the system into which I've been placed. Know my skills, know my service, my scope, my schedule, my satisfaction and my successors. Now we have been in the schedule and the satisfaction. That's where we've been. And we're going back. We're going back to the uh, the uh, schedule. We're going back to the schedule. We read this last time. So we won't dwell on it, but I want to read it once again. In fact, I won't read it all. In Luke chapter one, we find that the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, the father of uh, John the Baptist, and uh, announces that God is going to cause Zacharias and Elizabeth to finally be able to have a child. They had the child by natural means, but God healed them and enabled them to do so. Six months later, Gabriel went to Nazareth 
and spoke to Mary and told her that she was going to bring forth a child by supernatural means. She's a virgin, but she's going to bring forth a child and that child will be the son of God. Six months of difference. And the Bible says that Mary went to greet and, and, and meet Elizabeth and the babe that was in the womb of Elizabeth leaped when Mary showed up. Six month old John the Baptist began to leap when uh, Mary showed up. Mary showed up with Jesus in her womb and John the Baptist leaped in honor of his Lord who was in the womb of Mary. Uh, the Bible tells us then in the third chapter of Luke, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and it goes on, verse 2, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan preaching, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse uh, 21 says, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. Now, when you, when you read chapter three and you go on and you find in verse 23, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, that lets us know that John the Baptist was also about 30 years of age. Jesus and John the Baptist are separate in time by only what? Six months. Six months of difference in their ages. And John has been in the wilderness. Uh, if you remember John chap uh, Luke chapter one and verse 80, the Bible says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. I talked to you about the... Um, the Essenes, a monastic order called the capital E-S-S-E-N-E-S, -S -E -E a, a group of men who separated themselves from uh, society for prayer and consecration, for preservation of the scriptures, etc. John, many historians believe, became a part of that community, the Essenes, who lived in the wilderness and were there until, or was there, John was, until the time that his prophetic ministry began. And it seems as if it was not a lengthy, lengthy amount of time between the time that John began to minister and that Jesus came to be baptized. It was not a long period of time. And so we, we dealt with the fact that uh, in the story of the potter and the clay, when the when the vessel was marred in the hands of the potter, the potter made it again another vessel. That in that process, it doesn't it doesn't leave a long period of time. There's not a long period of time between the marring and the remaking. So, in other words, the vessel doesn't have long to be transformed. Even so, in order for uh, John to fulfill his purpose and even more so for us to fulfill our purpose 
we don't have a whole lot of time. We have to get right to it, if I may use that expression. So John and Jesus are close in time. Their lives and their ministries overlap. Now, let me share with you another uh, a fascinating place in the scripture where we read this morning, the, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Bible says in the third chapter, in verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, or Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Now, many of us uh, are fascinated to learn that Jesus was a baptizer as well. We know John was a baptizer, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, John the immerser. But we did not necessarily know that Jesus was a baptizer as well. But we just read it. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Let's go further. Uh, in chapter 4 of the same book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 1, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. So not only is John a baptizer, Jesus is a baptizer. Fascinating, isn't it? Uh, it, it tells us a number of things. Uh, it tells us that Jesus was subject to the spiritual authority of John. All right? And whenever God brings you in subjection to a spiritual authority, you submit to and emulate that authority. I'm going to tell you that in most cases, when God gives you a mentor, when God gives you a spiritual mother or father, when God gives you a professional mother or father in business, in whatever art, in whatever profession, many times you will emulate him or her before you come into your own flow or your own persona or your own awareness. And you see, there are some people who resent that, and they resent that to their own detriment. They resent it to their own detriment. In the natural, in the physical, we notice that when children are born, uh, and as they develop, they tend to demonstrate or, or to manifest, to exhibit traits of their parents. They tend to be tall like their tall father or short like their short father or tall like their tall mother or short, you understand? Or the complexions will be similar. Uh, many times the facial features will be similar. Voices and abilities will be similar. Uh, that's the way God does it in the natural. How much more so does he do it in the psychological, ideological and in the spiritual, you will tend to emulate that, that authority, that father, mother, that sire, that matriarch, that individual that God used to bring you forth. Again, that mentor, that tutor, that teacher, whoever that, that instructor, whoever that person is, 
who is used of God to shape and mold you, you will tend to emulate him or her. And you will tend to emulate him or her while you are being developed and cultivated. Uh, there are times when as you are mentored, excuse me, as you are molded and cultivated, there will be a distinction that comes in time with your flow so that maybe now you've learned some things and maybe you've learned some things that your mentors and tutors did not know. And so, yes, you've developed your quote unquote own style, your own flow, your own framework. But but there should not be a resentment or even a resistance toward a healthy, natural or supernaturally natural emulation of that spiritual mentor or our, our father, mother, uh, professional uh, tutor, instructor, etc. There should not be uh, some sort of resentment because there's a thought that if I resemble him or her, then I'm not myself. That's foolishness. That's actually foolishness because whoever that person is, whoever that person is, that person's gifts and abilities are your inheritance. Why would you deprive yourself of your own inheritance? That's the way God set it up. Uh, Brother Johnson, I'm going to acknowledge this question. Is it possible for an individual to emulate a mentor or spiritual father and mother prior to actual initial meeting physically? Uh, I, I certainly think, I think so. I think so. Um, the connection, in particular the spiritual, the connection in the spirit is not does not necessitate a whole lot of physical interaction. As a matter of fact, John says concerning his relationship with Jesus, even though they are relatives, even they, even though they are relatives, John said he didn't know Jesus. They're relatives, but they don't know one another. Because how is that possible? Well, you've got cousins you don't know. I've got cousins I don't. I've got I've got siblings I don't know. <laughs> Excuse me, I mean, it's, it's not just cousins. I've got uh, brothers and sisters that I don't know. You follow that? So, so yeah, it's possible. And it's not about distance either. Because just like John and Jesus were in Israel, which is not, you know, uh, John is in the wilderness, but they're not, they're not thousands of miles apart. Well, uh, my siblings that I don't know, we're not we're not even a hundred miles apart. I don't know, and that's in the twenty first century. If it's possible not to know one another in the twenty first century with no automobile, with you know, with automobiles and all the things we have now, phones and and and, 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 and electronics and all, certainly it was possible in those days. Certainly it was possible in those days for people to be raised in the same country and not know one another. There are people raised in the same city that are brothers and sisters and they don't know one another. All right, here's the point. Could you have a spiritual connection to someone but not have ever met the person physically? Oh, yes, absolutely so. Absolutely. And particularly if you have connected with them by means of their writings or, you know, their, their, their media presence and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, sir. All right, so... John emulates the authority that God placed in his or her uh, life. He did. He did. Uh, uh, Jesus, rather, emulated the example of John. Jesus 
baptized even as John baptized. Did we read John 4? I think we did. I hope we did. Uh, we did in the, in the first session. Let me read it to you now, though. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Did you hear me? And yet, as I said to the group in the first session, I am, or at least I have been, a connoisseur of the great Jesus movies. Greatest story ever told. Uh, uh, King of Kings, Jesus of Nazareth, and some of the others. And never in any of the Jesus movies have I ever seen Jesus baptizing anybody. Secondly, um, as a child, I had lots of Bible story books with pictures. I never saw one with a picture of Jesus baptizing anybody. And until I got into my teens, until I got into my teens, I never heard anybody teach that Jesus did the baptizing. And from then till now, uh, the only people that I can think of who mentioned that to me was my pastor and, and Bishop Raymond Johnson. I, I never heard anybody else talk about Jesus having baptized. My point simply is, it was a major phase of his ministry, and yet we hear nothing about it. What's that tell us? It tells us, it tells me, I don't know all I think I know. Oh, I know about Jesus. Well, here's a major aspect of his ministry that people don't even talk about. So we can't presume. That's the point of that little piece right there. We can't presume that because we know about people that we know them. We may know some things about them. That doesn't mean we know them. Whole dimension of his life. Whole dimension of his life. And, and it's rarely touched in, in our circles. Okay, Jesus emulated John. Whoever God makes an authority in your life to mold you for your purpose, to mold you for your assignment, to move you in your assignment, it is likely that you will see yourself emulating him or her in some kind of way. I'm not talking about copycat. I'm not talking about pretending to be somebody. No, that's not what I mean. I mean embracing what they embrace, loving what they love, believing what they believe, being passionate about what they're passionate about because you're growing in your understanding. And not only that, but the spirit of God himself is shaping you and he's using that person as a human model, not a perfect model, but a human model of the Christ aspect. Not, not all of that personality, but the Christ aspect. Let's leave that, okay? Listen, John is responsible. <clears throat> John is responsible to fulfill his assignment. And his assignment is to prepare the people for Jesus and to prepare and present Jesus uh, to the people. Here's the question. If John does not fulfill his timing, his assignment, what is that going to do to detrimentally affect the assignment of Jesus? You see, Jesus is on John's heels, as it were. In order for Jesus to come forth the way the Father intends it, 
John must go forth. He said he's preparing the way for the Lord. Here's my question to you. Whose schedule does my schedule impact? Whose assignment schedule does my fulfilling of my assignment schedule impact? My being on time in life, who does that help? My not being on time in life, who does that hurt? My being on time with the assignment of God upon my life, who does that help? My being behind on the schedule of God for my life, who does that negatively impact? Who is it that if I do not achieve, their achievement is going to be hindered? If I don't accomplish, their accomplishment is going to be stunted. Who is it that if I don't grow, they won't grow? Who is it that if I don't rise up, they won't rise up? Can you see it? It is very important that we understand that our assignment is on a schedule because it interweaves and interlinks and overlaps with someone else's. You see, uh, in the third chapter of John, look at what it says. Go back to it. The Bible says, verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he, that is Jesus, tarried with them and baptized. Verse 23, and John also is baptizing. So the, uh, the baptizing of Jesus and the baptizing of John are overlapping. John's baptismal ministry and Jesus' baptismal ministry are overlapping in time. There's an overlap. And John is approached about that. People are saying, hey, look at this. Verse 26, and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptize him, and all men come to him. John, the fellow you baptize, and you say he's the Lamb of God, now he's baptizing, and he's drawing a following. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Is he your competition? Look at what John says. Uh, verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase but I must decrease. John said, our ministries are overlapping. My work and his work is overlapping, but my work was preparatory for his. God has set this up. God set this up. Are you listening to me? We're talking about the schedule. But then we move to satisfaction because John says, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. He said, for Jesus to be doing what he's doing now, that, that satisfies me. That blesses me. Now, that's not all we're going to say about satisfaction, but I want you to understand that that's a major piece of it. Now, I began to share with the first session 
that what John does here, he's a teacher and he lifts up the analogy of the ancient Hebrew wedding and the ancient Hebrew wedding traditions. And you can find an example of this somewhat in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 24, where Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, goes to get a wife for Isaac. The way that this, the way that this happened is that the son or the father of the son, who was a, the young man is going to be married, would reach out to the father are the brothers of the intended, of the young woman that he wishes to marry. And they came together and made an agreement. The young lady could be a part as well, but, but her authorities were her father and her uh, brothers. Um, we have a part of that tradition in our wedding ceremonies right now. Who giveth this woman to be married to this man? All right, so the man would make the proposition, doesn't mean he didn't propose to the woman and all of that, it doesn't mean that, it just means that the legal aspects of it came through the father and the uh, brothers. When it was agreed upon, there was a meal held celebrating the fact that there is a betrothal, betrothal, troth, that's faithfulness, betrothal. We've, 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 we've pledged our loyalty and our fidelity to one another. And then the young man leaves the house where the girl is, the young lady is, and goes to build a home for them. That home is often connected to the house of the father, built out as the father's house as a part of the compound, or at least on the property that is the ancestral property. And it is known that it's going to be about a year. They don't know exactly how much time, but about a year, the amount of time it's going to take for him to get the house built that he's going to come back and they've got to be prepared for a feast that's going to take place when he gets back because they don't know exactly when he's going to come. But when he does, he's going to receive uh, he's going to receive her. And there's going to be, listen, several things. There's going to be a ceremony, a ceremony. There's some exchanging of vows, that kind of thing. And then the, the guests, all of the guests are going to have assembled but they're going to be in a wedding, like what we would call the reception area. In the meanwhile, there is a chamber at a significant distance away from the wedding where the reception is going to be, what we would call a reception, the feast, marriage feast. And the bride, the groom, or the groom and the bride, and the best man, we would call him, the Bible calls him the friend of the bridegroom here in verse 29. They would leave where the feast is going to take place and they would go toward a chamber called a hoopah. Now, this chamber is at a distance away from where the feast is being held. The, the friend of the bridegroom goes with them as far as somebody back at the chamber, at the, I'm sorry, at the marriage feast could hear his voice. Okay, he goes that far and stops. The, the marriage chamber for the bride and the groom, the hoopah, is even farther away, far enough where the friend of the bridegroom could hear the groom's voice if he yelled, giving him a message. Here's what happens. You've got the marriage feast 
the people at, there at what we would call the reception hall. Then you go a distance and you've got the friend, the bridegroom standing by himself. And then you go uh, maybe half a mile or whatever further and there is the hoopah. I say half a mile, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile. That's where the husband and wife, the bride and the groom consummate their marriage. In other words, this is the first time that they've been physically intimate. They were betrothed a year ago. They were married legally a year ago, but they have not been married physically until they go into this chamber. When the bride and the groom go into the chamber and consummate the marriage, the, the groom comes out and yells back to the friend of the bridegroom, his best man, as we call him, a marriage is made in Israel. A marriage is made in Israel. That's what he yells. In other words, you know, the consummation has taken place. The friend of the bridegroom, see, the reason why he has to yell is because he was at a distance. You're not upon these people in their intimate moment. No, the, the, the groom calls back and says, a marriage is made in Israel. Now, this, this friend, the bridegroom, he's the messenger for the people back at the marriage feast. And he yells to them, a marriage is made in Israel. And when he lets them know a marriage is made in Israel, the party begins. Party begins. Bride and groom eventually come back in and they all have a feast for about seven days. So when John says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, you know Jesus is the groom. The bride represents the people of Israel that have accepted Jesus. You understand? And the fact that they're following Jesus now, John says that's like the consummation. They, they don't need me preaching to them anymore because they've met him for themselves. Got it? Okay. Listen to what he says. He says, the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him, I'm getting word that he's preaching and teaching. The Bible says rejoiceth greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Now he's preaching. Now he's teaching. Now Jesus is doing his work. You follow? He says, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. He said, I'm good now. He said, whatever happens to me now, it's all right. He said, because Jesus is here, I prepared the people for Jesus. I presented Jesus to the people. The people are the bride. He is the groom. Whatever happens to me is all right, but I'm done. I, I finished my assignment. You see it? Can you see that? Okay, now let's go back to that ancient Jewish uh, wedding ceremony and 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 let's let Jesus pick it up Jesus uses the same imagery in John chapter 14 when the young man would sit with the father and the brothers of the bride he would make the transaction and pay listen Lord help me he would pay the price. There's a, there's a price that, the, that, that he had to pay the father. There was a, a gift, uh, a bride price that he had to pay uh, as, in honor of him receiving that daughter. Okay? He paid the price and they have a meal. And that meal seals the fact that he is the betrothed husband of that wife. That's why the Bible calls Mary Joseph's wife before they got married. Got It was consummated, remember? When Joseph was minded to put her away privately, put away means divorce in the scripture. 
Well, how can you divorce somebody you're not married to? Joseph and Mary were legally married. They were not physically married yet. They hadn't been to the hoopah yet, but they'd already had the covenant made between her family and his family. Can you see that? That's why Joseph could have made her a, pu a public example. He could have had her stoned as an adulteress because legally they were married. And that's why the angel of the Lord said in Matthew chapter one, fear not Joseph to take her to be married thy wife, not married thy girlfriend, not married thy fiance, married thy wife because legally they're already married. You see it? All right, but let's go forward to Jesus. This is what happens. Jesus, our Redeemer. See, the, the, the whole Bible is a book about Jesus. And, and, and many of the Hebraic customs and cultural uh, 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 traditions, they point toward Jesus. Notice that Jesus had a meal with the bride's father and her brothers. Notice that Jesus gave them to drink. The bread is my body. The wine is my blood. Notice what he told them the night of his betrayal. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what the young man would tell the bride after he had paid the bride price. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Where did I tell you that the young man would build his house somewhere as a connection of the father's house or in the father's uh, realm? What did Jesus say? In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Come on, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So in other words, the ancient Jewish marriage custom is actually a picture of Jesus Christ redeeming us to himself. And even as Eleazar gave to Bethuel and Laban the bride price, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave to the father the bride price. Hallelujah. Don't even get too excited here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Jesus became the bride price. He gave his life to purchase his bride. And John the Baptist was the one who got excited because John, John the Baptist said, I'm the best man. No wonder Jesus said among them born of woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' best man. John the Baptist is Jesus' friend of the bridegroom. Can you see it? So if John does not operate within the schedule, He's going to he's going to disrupt the plan. Can you see it? I believe I believe somebody can see that. Uh, it can be told better than I told it. I, but but I think you get the essence. 
Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride, John is the best man, the father is the father of the bride, he's the father of the groom too, but, but he's the father of the bride, hallelujah, and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the bride price. And even as that young man would tell his bride, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back. Notice I told you that when the young man comes back, they know the general idea, but they don't know exactly when he's coming back. How many know Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour of my return? Oh, by the way, one more thing. When the bridegroom would come back from having built the house, when he's coming for the bride, you know what they would yell? Behold, the bridegroom coming. <laughs> for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. How's he coming, the Bible says, with a shout. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Oh, yeah, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. All right. John says, my satisfaction is to know that Jesus has his bride and the bride has Jesus. That's my, that's my, uh, that's my satisfaction. Can you see that? But the satisfaction is not going to be his if he's not sensitive to the schedule. John the Baptist realized that he doesn't have long. There's urgency in his preaching and his teaching. Repent. Why do he say repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close. It's right upon us. You see that? I, I want to say something to you now as we move toward um, our closing. Still dealing with the schedule and the satisfaction. How many of you would agree? Don't miss this now. Don't miss what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is, is as important as uh, what I've already said. How many of you can attest that the word of the Lord concerning the assignment has been a significant word? And, you know, I've been sharing the lesson through prayer and also in some of our morning worship uh, services about the counsel of the Lord. And one of the things that the counsel of the Lord entails is that you in the presence of the Lord get to hear what's on his heart, what's on his mind. And we have been having some strange but wonderful, maybe striking, but wonderful examples of being in the counsel of the Lord. This assignment word has been so serious. Um, I went to uh, my wife and I, I went to take my wife and to be there myself to Woman Thou Art Loosed, the finale, this past weekend. I went because of the historic weight of the life and ministry of Bishop T.D. Jakes. No other African-American man of our day has touched the church the way that Bishop Jakes has touched the church. I'm not talking about Dr. King and, and the civil rights movement. Oh, my goodness. That's a different class. I'm talking about in terms of 
inner healing and empowerment of women and all of that kind of thing. No other, no other man, but certainly no other African-American man and no other African-American man full of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, baptizing water in Jesus' name has affected the body of Christ the way that this gentleman has by the grace of God upon his life. And with this being the closing of that era, so to speak, I wanted to be there to bear witness, to show support, to bear witness, confirmation, the whole nine. If anyone has anything negative to say about Bishop T.J., please keep it to yourself. All of us are flawed, but God has used this man mightily, mightily and in a way, uh, in an inimitable manner. Tremendous. All right. Woman, thou art loosed was Bishop Jake's assignment. And 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 of course, many other things, the potter's house, manpower, uh, international leadership, all of that, all of that. But woman, thou art loosed was one of the major assignments of Bishop Jake's that even gave rise to some of the others being manifest. It was woman, thou art loosed that gave rise to the momentum that opened the door and, and, and built the platform for some of these others. Are you listening? Do you know what Bishop Jakes read on Saturday? Quoted, he began to quote and then he began to read. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the words with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, etc. You know where he went to the, uh, in, in that text next? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That is the true light, the light of every man that cometh into the world. He went from there over to John chapter 3 and began to read about John the Baptist. And began to talk about the fact that John the Baptist came to the point where he said, I must decrease, he must increase. And to make a long story short, many of you were there or you viewed it online or you've heard about it since then. He used the text and the character that we've been using to bring forth his daughter and announce her as the successor to Woman, thou art loosed with woman evolved. He told his daughter, it's not because of kinship, it's not because of favoritism, it's, it's because of God's hand, it's because of the assignment. Now, brothers and sisters, Don't you think that of all the texts of scripture that he could have used, don't you think that out of all the biblical illustrations that could have been brought, don't you think it's, it's pretty significant that God would choose to use the John the Baptist model as the one through which Bishop framed the conversation that he had on Saturday and the great transition that took place on Saturday. 
Don't you think that God is trying to say something to us? Don't you think that God has invited us into the counsel of the Lord? Don't you think that he's calling us to think his thoughts? To speak his words and to do his deeds? Walk in his ways? In other words, what Bishop was saying, among other things, is that my schedule, these 30 years of woman that are loosed, has consummated. And now God has made me a preparer of the way for this next. And as my assignment in this arena, not because he's going to die, not because he's going to stop preaching, but now that this aspect of my assignment has culminated, I'm going to present this next one. I'm going to present this next one not as a father natural to a daughter natural, but as a father spiritual to another son of God. We didn't just get history this last weekend. We got prophecy as well. Because what's happening in that setting is happening all over the body of Christ. God is transitioning people with regard to assignments connected to other assignments. One more thing. Notice that Bishop did not have to die or get sick or be on a walker or be on a cane or be in a wheelchair for there to be a transition. You don't have to hope people die. You don't have to wish that people would leave. You don't have to have a buzzard spirit for you to come into what it is that God has promised. I think that's wonderful. Lord, teach me my son. All right. There's so much more, but our time has come and gone. Well, God bless you. Uh, until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together we shall and shall continue to bring pleasure to Christ's heart and to bring fame to his name until we meet again. May the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.